Revelation chapter 7, and in particular this evening we're going to be studying verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 12, and our theme both this evening and on the Lord's Day morning, our theme will be heaven at home with the Lamb. Heaven at home with the Lamb. Well, I'm sure at some stage in your life, you or someone you've heard, maybe children in your home, someone has asked the question, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Perhaps, boys and girls, it's a question that you've asked your mum and dad from time to time. You've heard that word heaven mentioned in church. You've read it in your Bible. And since heaven is a place that we can't see, we have a lot of questions about it. Where is it? What goes on there? What will it be like? And it's not just Christians who ask this question. Uh, Even unbelievers might be prompted at times to ask the question, uh, even if they don't ask what will heaven be like, they might ask, well, what is there beyond this life on earth? Despite the best efforts of celebrity atheists and many others to claim that belief in a a supernatural, unseen world is, is nonsense and childish, statistics do suggest that the vast majority of people do believe in angels, in spirits, a spiritual realm, and some version of heaven. Perhaps especially when a loved one passes away, we're prompted to ask, What will heaven be like? We perhaps want some reassurance about where they are now and what they're experiencing. Well, the Bible does answer this question in various places and in various ways. It tells us about some things that we can expect to see and experience in heaven. Uh, Later in Revelation, we'll, we'll see even more detail about it. But in fact, the Bible is just as concerned, if not more concerned, to tell us about who will be in heaven, who, will we, who we will be with when we are there. In some ways, friends, heaven is not so much about the what, it's about who. Who is heaven all about? And the answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described throughout Revelation as the Lamb, the Lamb. And we've considered a little bit already in our studies why Jesus is, is called the Lamb. Uh, but as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, it, it, it bears uh, consideration again. It's, it's bringing out the fact, of course, that he is our sacrificial Lamb. That he has provided penal substitutionary atonement. That he has taken our sin upon himself. <coughs> that his blood has been shed. His life has been offered up in our place for our sins. He is the lamb whose blood uh, takes away the punishment that our sin deserves. Because the lamb has been slain, we can be saved. Heaven is a place, of course, for those who believe that, who have trusted in that and who celebrate that. And of course, that's also part of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament reminding us not just of what Christ has done for us, but also that Christ is present with us, that he dwells with us at all times by his spirit, that we can expect his presence and blessing when we gather for worship and when we gather for the sacraments, and that eventually there will come a day when we see him and enjoy his presence perfectly and fully 
never to be interrupted again. On the night that Jesus instituted this sacrament with his disciples, he essentially said to them, Luke 22, verse 17, he, he essentially said that this was a taste of something still to come. Uh, not just the, the food and the drink of the table, but the fellowship that we enjoy at the table. Uh, that, that's what's bound up in the word communion, coming together, community, believers together in the presence of their Savior. Jesus said that it's a taste of something still to come. Heaven, friends, is about the Lamb, who He is, what He has done, the people that belong with Him. So, three things I want to bring to your attention from Revelation 7, verses 9 to 12 this evening. Three things about heaven. First of all, in heaven we, we, we see the promises of God fulfilled by the Lamb. In heaven, we see the promises of God fulfilled by the Lamb. I remember, hopefully, last Lord's Day evening, we considered uh, the vision of the 144,000 sailed on earth. Uh, and we saw how that is a picture for us of the people of God on earth, known to Him, uh, chosen by Him, protected by Him. And we saw how, because the 144,000 are sealed, that sealing, that sealing being a picture of the Holy Spirit with us. <coughs> because they were sealed, God's people on the earth are able to endure the, the trouble, the, the tribulation, the judgments that come upon the earth, even now before Judgment Day. You remember in chapter 6, we thought about the four horses and the four riders, uh, which is a picture for us of the, the turmoil and the difficulties and the pains that we've been experiencing on the earth for thousands of years. But God's people are sealed. They belong to him so that although we, we suffer some of the pains and difficulties that the rest of the world suffers as well, the fact that we are sealed means that we will make it through. We are a people chosen by God, protected by God, known by God. And that's, that's symbolized for us <coughs> in the number of 144,000 but then in chapter 7, verse 9, <coughs> the picture of the church changes. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so, friends, the 144,000 is a picture of the church on earth, if you like. The church as it goes through the, the difficult days leading up to Christ's return. But the picture we have here in, cha in chapter 7 verse 9 is a picture of the church in heaven. And notice friends exactly where in heaven the church is, this multitude. Verse 9. This multitude is standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Again, remember the question uh, that comes at the end of chapter 6, verse 17. You can glance back at it if you wish. Chapter 6, verse 17, the question that's asked is, who can stand? Who can stand when the day of the wrath of God and the Lamb finally comes? And chapter 7 has been answering that question for us. And wonderfully, the answer here in chapter 7, verse 9 
is that a great multitude will be standing on the day of the wrath of the Lamb. A great multitude will be welcomed into his presence. A great multitude will be gathered into heaven. And isn't it wonderful how these two different pictures in chapter 7, two very different pictures of the church uh, in complementary ways describe the church. 144,000 sealed. God knows every single one of his people. And then from a more human perspective, God's people are a number that none of us can count up. Too many for us to count. And yet still, of course, we are all known to God. And we will all be there in heaven because of the Lamb. The other thing I want you to appreciate about this picture of a great multitude, too many to number in heaven. Friends, it proves to us that God has and will keep his promises. This picture of the great multitude proves that God will keep his promises. In particular, the promises that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. Those promises are fulfilled here in Revelation 7 verse 9. We read Genesis 17 verse 4 earlier. God said to Abraham, tired, old, childless, 99-year-old Abraham, you shall be the father of a what? A multitude of nations. What an incredible promise for God to make at that time. A promise, in fact, that Abraham's wife laughed at in disbelief. And yet, friends, heaven this very moment And heaven in eternity bears witness to the fact that that promise is fulfilled. (coughs) It was a promise God repeated to Abraham several times. Most notably, right after Abraham had been willing to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. And then you remember God instead provided a substitute, a, a ram, not unlike a lamb. And after that incident, God declared, Genesis twenty two seventeen, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. God reiterating his covenant promises that there will be a multitude of nations come from Abraham, not just biologically, but those who share the faith of Abraham. There's a promise Echoed also in the words of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, as he blessed his sons on his deathbed. Jacob, who of course was renamed Israel, he said about his son Judah, Genesis 49.10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That was a prophecy, friends, about Jesus. Jesus who was born into the tribe of Judah. The scepter that Jacob talks about there is a symbol of kingly power and authority. And he says that king will command authority. He will gather in people from all the nations. Prophets of God emphasize this promise as well. That salvation would be for all peoples. Isaiah 45 verse 22 Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. 
For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Before Jesus ascended back into heaven. His last words to his disciples emphasized that this promise was going to be fulfilled. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There are disciples, Jesus said, to gather in from all the nations. A multitude of nations. And not long after Jesus spoke those words, his disciples began to see the fulfillment of it. Remember what happened at the day of Pentecost. Uh, The believers are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. They have the miraculous ability to suddenly speak in foreign languages. So the people who were there in Jerusalem at that time from all the nations, from Mesopotamia to Asia to Africa, they were all able to hear the good news in their own languages. To hear about what Acts 2 calls the mighty works of God. One other reference to finish the point. Paul says in Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's. Then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Covenant promise. So friends heaven is and will be a place. Testifying to the fact that our God keeps his promises. A place full of people too many to count. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. We live in a world of broken promises. People make all kinds of pledges and promises today. And then they break them. Politicians make grand promises. We've been reminded this week, haven't we, just how often and how easily politicians do not keep their word. Men and women make promises. They make marriage vows. And an increasing number fail to keep them. Each and every one of us have made promises and then broken them. I'll be there at 9 a.m., I'll get that paperwork done. I'll do that errand for you. All of us from time to time have failed to keep our word. And it's easy to become cynical and world weary. We can be a pretty pessimistic bunch, us dear Ulster Scots. But friends, however disappointed we may be with the broken promises of our leaders, our employers, even of one another at times. Heaven is a place bearing witness to the fact that our God keeps his promises. As we we participate at the Lord's table this weekend, we're demonstrating our faith in God's promises. We're demonstrating our faith that though we may gather a small little bunch, Dremore RP Church, we are part of a vast multitude across nations, across history, that no one can number. We are not foolish to trust in the Lamb, slain but standing. We're not old-fashioned or out of touch to sing his praises, to take bread and wine in commemoration of his death, to urge people to repentance and faith before it's too late. 
We aren't some fringe group friends. We're not some unimportant minority. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the fulfillment of God's promises through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are part of a vast kingdom. Taking in people from every nation, tribe and tongue. Heaven will bear witness to the fact that God's promises to Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the apostles and us have been and are being fulfilled by the blood of the Lamb. So heaven bears witness to the fact that God keeps his promises. But secondly, in heaven we will celebrate the victory that the Lamb has won. In heaven we celebrate the victory That the Lamb has won. Notice the next description of this great multitude at the end of verse 9. It says that they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. White robes and palm branches were symbols of victory in the ancient world. White was the colour worn by kings and emperors as they uh, rode in. And they would be greeted with palm branches waving as they rode in for their victory parade after some big conquest. Heaven is a place, friends, where we celebrate victory, the victory of the Lamb. Notice verse 10 says that this great multitude were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a a victory shout. That's part of the the welcoming uh, committee, if you like, of, of people there to greet the conquering king. The word salvation is closely bound up in the Bible with the idea of deliverance, of military rescue or military conquest. This is the purpose of heaven, friends. It's a victory parade. It's a celebration of what the Lamb has achieved, that he has conquered our enemies, that in being slain, he is in fact victorious. Psalm 98, we'll sing these words shortly. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. (coughs) Those are the words we sing here on earth. We'll be singing very similar words someday in heaven. As we gather for worship each week, we're doing something heavenly. We are marking and celebrating the victory of the Lamb. And notice the The laser focus in these verses upon God and upon the Lamb. They get all the credit for this victory. God alone has achieved this victory. And so God and the Lamb are to be praised for this victory. The vision emphasizes that further in verse 14. We're told that the reason this great multitude are wearing white robes is because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So I said recently, blood usually isn't a good stain remover. Um, if you were to spill red wine in your carpet, I wouldn't suggest using blood to get it out. Probably going to make a bigger mess than you would have. Uh, but the blood of the lamb, of course, is unique. It's powerful. It's miraculous blood. It's blood that purifies us from all unrighteousness. It's blood that removes any stain of sin. Even those secret sins, those subtle sins, those sins that just make us cringe as we remember them and and regret them and are ashamed of them. (coughs) 
1 John 1 verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. And once again, friends, Revelation is reminding us here of the sovereignty of God in our salvation. That we have contributed nothing to our salvation. That we will not be part of this great multitude because of anything that we have done. Oftentimes in life when you're part of a big crowd of people. It's because you've paid the price to be there. You go and see your favourite team play rugby or football. You go and watch your favourite singer perform in a great concert hall. Whatever it may be. You're there because you've paid the money, you've bought your ticket, you've earned your seat. Heaven is not like that. In heaven, the only one who has earned his seat is the one who sits on the throne. We will only be there, friends, because salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Salvation which is from the Lord, as Samus says. He is caused to be made known In all the nations. Heaven friends is being with the saviour. Heaven is finally seeing Jesus. Face to face. Who loved us. And gave himself for us. Here's a better question to ask. Than asking what will heaven be like. Ask yourself if you're curious about heaven. Ask yourself. Am I interested in celebrating the work that Jesus has done for me? We have a lot of questions about heaven that really are beside the point. How old will we all look? Where will we live? Will we recognize one another? Not saying those questions don't matter or even that they don't have some importance. But friends, are you interested in celebrating the person and work Of Jesus Christ. Are you eager for an opportunity. To come before the throne of God. And to give thanks. For the shed blood. Of the lamb. Again this is part of the purpose of the Lord's table. We are proclaiming the Lord's death. Remembering it. Thinking about it. We are declaring through bread and wine that the body and blood of Jesus Christ at the cross is our only means of salvation. There is no other way. There is no other saviour. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And when we realise that and when we stop thinking in terms of what I can do and start giving thanks for what he has done, then you have the hope of heaven and of being there someday. So in heaven we see the promises of God fulfilled by the Lamb. In heaven uh, we celebrate the victory of the Lamb. And thirdly and finally in heaven God and the Lamb receive our praise. God and the Lamb receive our praise. Verse 10 is of course a shout of praise as well as victory. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But the praise increases and it comes not just from the multitude of believers but From all other beings as well. If you look at verse 11. All the angels were standing around the throne. And around the elders were the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne. And worshipped God saying. Amen. Blessing and glory. 
and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Notice, friends, the sevenfold declaration of praise there. Number seven, number of completion, number of perfection. This is perfect, unceasing, wholehearted praise. The praise that we, we long to offer and we know in ourselves at times we're, we're limited, we're imperfect. Uh, sometimes we're singing the right words but we don't have the right attitude. Sometimes our minds are adrift as we come together for worship. That won't be the case in heaven, friends. We will be offering perfect praise to our God and King in heaven. This is what heaven is all about. Worthy praise of the worthy Lamb. For several years, it seemed that every book on Christian bestseller lists was written by someone claiming to have gone to heaven. Usually after coming through a terrible accident or a tricky medical procedure, and somehow they came to heaven and came back again. And many Christians lapped these books up. They praised them. They encouraged other Christians to read them. In most cases, the people who wrote those books later confessed to having completely made up the stories. Or that it was just sort of a dream. In one case, two parents actually encouraged a young boy, their son, at less than 12 years old, to promote a book which they said that they had helped him write, saying that he had gone to heaven and seen Jesus and come back again. And later it emerged that this was all made up. And yet if we'd known our Bibles better, it would always have been obvious that these stories weren't to be trusted because none of them talked very much about worshipping God and the Lamb. They tended to be about what it was supposedly like to see loved ones again or how youthful everyone looked or how beautiful the colours and sounds were. Friends, the Lamb is our heaven. And when we finally see him, our attention will be fixed on him. And all the things that are great about heaven will come from the fact that we are there with him. We are there with him. And it will prompt us to praise him as we never have before. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, John 14 verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's heaven. It's being with Jesus. It's seeing Jesus. It's worshipping Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's the mark of a true Christian, that despite our ongoing sins and struggles, in, in the depths of our souls, friends, in the bottom of our hearts, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him for saving us. We love him for the grace and mercy that he has poured out upon us. We love him for his willingness to go to the cross and endure unspeakable physical and spiritual torment so that our sin could be forgiven. 
Can you say today that you love the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done on the cross? If you love him now, even though you're not perfect and even though you've never seen him, imagine how much more you'll love him when you see him face to face. Imagine how much more you'll want to worship him when you see him face to face. This was the great encouragement that Paul gave to the Thessalonians as they mourned the death of their loved ones and wondered where they'd gone. First Thessalonians 4 verse 16, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, that is, as the Lord comes down, new heavens, new earth. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, Paul says. We will always be with the Lord. Every other good thing about heaven, friends, will flow from that. And if heaven is being with the Lord... We can enjoy a little bit of heaven here and now when we choose to spend time with Jesus, when we open his word, when we pray, when we gather with his people for worship. Reverend Donnelly in preaching in this passage said, if we're neglecting our quiet time, time in the day to read God's word, to speak to him in prayer, if we're neglecting our quiet time, he says, we're neglecting heaven. And I would say when we neglect corporate worship, we're neglecting heaven. And if we neglect the sacraments, if the sacraments aren't important to us, if we don't have any desire to be a part of them, we neglect opportunity to be with Christ. And if we do that for our whole lives on earth, if we never want to be with Jesus now, we will not get to be with Jesus then. At the end, in eternity. You see, in the end, friends, people will get what they've always wanted. Those who never wanted to be with Christ during their lives on earth will not get to be with him afterwards. At least, they won't get to enjoy peace and fellowship and joy with him. Instead, they'll experience nothing but his wrath in hell. But for those who did long to be with Jesus, long to meet with him in his word, long for his presence and blessing in the sacraments, long to praise his name with his people, we will always be with the Lord. So what about you today? <clears throat> Are you looking forward to heaven? Are you looking forward to seeing Christ in all his glory? Part of that great multitude that no one will be able to count. Do you love to celebrate his victory here and now, today, through worship, through the sacraments? Do you look forward to celebrating his victory with him in heaven forever? Amen.